0: Welcome to the Radically Christian Crosstalk Podcast, Season 2, Episode 4. On this episode, I'd like to invite you to listen to a conversation that I recently had with my Crosstalk co-hosts, James Sumners and Sam Dominguez. On this episode, we begin a brand new series in which we'll discuss Bible stories we learned as children, but have a totally different perspective on them now that we're adults. On today's show, we discuss Jesus healing the 10 lepers. The Crosstalk Podcast is not a Bible class or even a formal Bible study. It's simply a spiritual conversation among friends that we hope you'll find edifying and that it will encourage you to have these types of spiritual conversations with people in your life. And now let's jump right into that conversation. That would be a really interesting thing to do, like a series of, of lessons, series of podcasts on just an adult discussion about stories that we tend to think of. On an elementary level, we tend to think of them the way that, you know, we tend to think of Jonah getting swallowed by a big fish, and that's it. You know, I mean, but we don't, you know, I mean, there's so much more to it. And really, the primary point that most of those stories are making, we've entirely missed it because it's too complicated to explain to kids. I mean, the the primary point with the Ten Lepers, to me, is, um, is about the Gentile, about the Samaritan.
1: Let's just start that.
0: So we want to talk about the ten levers.
1: I think we should. Yeah, let let's start with the the story, the event. I, I hate that's something. that like I hate calling them stories. Yeah, you know.
2: And you see, and that's funny because I don't have a problem with it, and I don't think. I mean, if I tell you a story that I don't, when someone says they're going to tell me a story, I don't automatically assume it wasn't real, right? And I guess that's. I mean, and that's I understand the 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 reason why you wouldn't like story because when you, for the most part, when you hear the word story. You you think okay well this isn't real and and at least I guess the reason why I think that way is because I tell my kids their stories <laughs> and so I explain to them but these stories are real stories these are stories about things that actually happen so this is history
0: well when I tell you know I mean when when we tell every year the the Sorry. kid you know when when our kids are born on their birthday we tell them the story of when they were born. And we call it a story. And I mean, it, or we tell them the story of when we got married or the story of when we lived in this house. or well, and, and so and we use that word story in a broader sense than just.
1: Well, that's a very traditional usage of it. It, yeah. it is effectively uh, retelling historical events mm-hmm. in a narrative format. Right, you know, right. It's not like a journalistic review of right. you know, reading the minutes of what happened or mm-hmm. something. You're, you're putting a narrative to it, mm-hmm. but you're telling uh, an actual event that took place. Uh, it's just There's a part of me that feels that constant urge to, to remind myself and mm-hmm. remind everyone else yeah. that these are actual events, actual events, right. because we tend to start viewing all these things as, you know, like Aesop's fables mm-hmm. and whatnot, and it's like, well, you remember uh, Jonah and the great fish and the tortoise mm-hmm. and the hare, and the, and you know, it all just kind of jumbles together in right. our minds.
0: Well, and really, when you talk about biblically, especially when you're taking a small part of of one gospel account and you're talking about the ten lepers and and the account of Jesus healing the ten lepers you're you're talking about a part of a broader story. And so that's the part of it of calling it a story that makes me just a little bit uncomfortable because that's not the story. The story is what what Jesus came and did. And so and that's just a part of the story. And and when you just take that part out and you call that a story, you expect for it to have a beginning, a middle and an end and this conclusion and a climax and then a moral of the story. And to a certain degree it does, but but I, I think that you you automatically divorce it from the context in which you find it. And that's one of the problems that we run into in studying this, this passage uh, or, you know, any part of the gospel accounts. And especially when people do a study on Jesus, when they try to say, we're going to do a study on Jesus, well, they just kind of have a tendency to hop around as if the gospel writers didn't have a point to the order in which they put things. Luke tended to do things chronologically probably more than some of the others, but even those that arranged them topically, there was an intentionality about the order in which they put it. So you can't just pull it out as if this is just a standalone story. No, no, no. Read right after it. That'll tell you why that came there, and read right before it, and that'll tell you why it came there. It was part of—and we do the same thing, even if we when we're telling the story of our children's birth even if we kind of do a flashback or we you know a side point we're telling it right then as a part of that larger story for a reason there it it, it illustrates a point it illustrates something important that's a part of that grander story
1: yeah you know there's there's also an extended way that we limit our thinking about these things by referring to them as bible stories mm-hmm. because we we tend to isolate whole swaths of scripture as though that, because they are a story element that we can communicate to children if we slim it down and 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 uh, take some of the complexity away from it and 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 it's a good thing to convey a simple moral idea to children and whatnot. So we call these these Bible stories. and then we we often act like, well, these are the parts of the Bible that are for kids. Mm-hmm. and we we not only, do we have a tendency to study them as though we we're children, even in, when we're adults? Mm-hmm. Sometimes we don't study them at all, and you know, and it's kind of like songs that we have that we well, well these are kids' songs, mm-hmm. and so we don't sing those in worship. And it's like, well, you know, Jesus loves me might be a quote unquote kids' song, but that conveys the truth that there's no reason why we all can't sing that out, mm-hmm. you know. And, and yet we tend to lock certain things away, and like, well, these are the kids' stories, and so I'm going to, you know, tear off a hunk of some really big, complicated idea over here and never go back and examine mm-hmm. these things for the deeper truth that exists, because they weren't written to children, they were written to adults. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the problems that we run into,
0: even with, you know, when I'm telling my own kids a quote-unquote Bible story— is that I have a tendency to hone in on the moral application that is the easiest moral application to make. And so with the 10 lepers, it's easy to just say, see, we need to be thankful. When somebody does something nice for us, we need to be thankful. These people were ungrateful, and this person was grateful, so we need to be like him. Well, that's true, but when do we start to teach our kids? At what point do we start to teach them about racism? You know, When do we start to teach them about the fact that the Israelites believed that they were the only people that God loved, and that God didn't care about anybody else, and that that, uh, that when the Messiah came, you know, they missed this bigger picture. You remember when we talked about Abraham and how Abraham's descendant was going to be a blessing to all nations of mankind, and tie that into this grand narrative of Scripture? It's amazing. I mean, my kids are, you know, seven and four, and they're already starting to hopefully understand we try to go through that timeline at least every few months to talk about okay first there was Adam and Eve and then there was then there was Noah you know after a little while and then then the, the world was populated and then after Noah then um uh, then, then the world was destroyed of course with the flood and then and then a long many generations later was Abraham and God picked Abraham and God made these promises to Abraham and then you have Isaac and Jacob and you know and then we start to tell this grand story so that when we get to the 10 lepers we can Kind of draw back just a little bit and say, okay, well, let's talk about Jews and Gentiles, and let's talk about why is this why is this interesting? Why is this strange that the the Samaritan, the one that wasn't a Jew, was the one that came back and not the other guys?
1: Well, you know, we always focus on the the element of gratitude and thankfulness, and like you said, that's that's the the simplest moral to try and take out of it, and and it's perfectly you know fine. It, it right. is accurate, absolutely. It is an accurate thing. Uh, an accurate point to take out of uh, that event of the lepers being cured but at the same time it it reads into it or has the potential to read into uh, some of the people involved in ways that we don't know uh, you know it's 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 presumptuous to say that the other people the, the nine that didn't return were ungrateful mm-hmm. for what they did you know because that that pops into our mind this this mental image of them walking back to see the high priest or however they were traveling, and and just they looked down and, oh, we're clean. Oh, well, pfft. well yeah, I would think so. I mean, you know, as though they had some kind of really bad attitude, and, and that that's really difficult for me to fathom, that mm-hmm. someone being cured of leprosy would have a bad attitude mm-hmm. about it. But they didn't respond the way Jesus had hoped that they would respond, which is more than just gratitude, more than just happiness at what God did on their behalf. What the Samaritan did— was he returned and worshiped. He returned and glorified God because of what had happened. And, and you get the, the distinct impression that he was he was doing more than just glorifying God and thanking God for what specifically happened to him, but he was offering glory and worship to God for the fact that he knew now that he had met someone vitally important. Whether he, mm-hmm. he fully understood that that was the Son of God or not at the time, we don't know. But he knew that he had met someone unlike anyone that had existed for hundreds of years, that he had power that had not been seen for hundreds of years, and he returned to worship God because of this event. And the others may have been happy, they may have been thankful, but it didn't lead them to worship. You know, and something that struck me this morning when we were talking about this
0: is that Jesus told these guys to go and show themselves to the priests— and, and the account says that they were between Galilee and Samaria. So they're, they're on the northern side of Samaria, which they'd have to travel all the way through Samaria down into Judea to Jerusalem to show themselves to the priests, presumably. And so, so that's a long journey. And, and we don't know how much time took place from the time that Jesus said this to them to the time they left, to the time they realized they were healed, to the time they came back, and all of these things. But what kept going through my mind as we were talking about this was— what was the Samaritan thinking? Because he wasn't a Jew, and and for him to go and present himself in Jerusalem to the Jewish priests, I mean, he didn't have any right to do that. I, I don't know what he could have expected for them to have done and, and whether he was really intending on doing that. And so here they're traveling. And and to a certain degree, all of them, being lepers, would think, you know, oh, I don't know that we can go into Jerusalem. What's that going to be like? And so they're going back, and and here's the Samaritan that's thinking— when we get there what am i supposed to do these other guys are jewish and i'm not and and then he realizes that he's healed and and in a sense to me i think maybe luke is making the point that that the Samaritan did go and show himself to the priest. He went and showed himself to the true high priest. The the and, and so he goes back to Jesus, and, and of course Jesus wasn't a priest in the flesh, and you know these kind of types of things. He wasn't a, a son of Levi, um, but he goes back and like you said, worships God. Uh, that's the only thing he could do, and and to a certain extent, I think that's the point: is that. You know, it's like Peter said. To whom else can we go? You have the words of eternal life, and it's interesting to me—at least from my memory—I need to to open it up. But, um, but that Jesus doesn't tell him, okay, now that you've come back and thanked me and worshiped me, now you need to go to Jerusalem too, catch up with the other guys, and go and show yourself to the priests, because in a sense he did. I mean, and and again, he was a Samaritan and not and not a Jew.
2: Well, and I think also one of the the things that that strikes me even. Uh, even now, as I read this, that uh, I mean, like, like you said, that they're on their way to to the priest, and they're and he he told them to do that, mm-hmm. so they're doing what he they, he told them to do. And again, like you said, it doesn't necessarily make sense for the Samaritan, um, and it doesn't show them they're necessarily ungrateful, but it it shows to me in some ways that he may understand more specifically what he has received. Um, rather than um, just receiving healing he recognizes that God has saved him that God has made him well that that Jesus is the Messiah that Jesus is God and and the the Samaritans still they worship God again we we, we read that in the the uh, Samarit the story with the Samaritan woman use this word story again but uh, um, <clears throat> and uh, we see that they they worship God. They may and J, Jesus points out that they worship Him as um, maybe not necessarily correctly, but they they do worship Him. And um, the Samaritan goes and he sees that now he has a relationship with God. God has made him well. That Jesus has made him well. That he ha- now has a relationship with God that he didn't have before. Um, and I think that that's something that really sticks out. And maybe if the others weren't Jews they might have thought differently as well. Or even if they had paid attention, like even the Samaritan was made well by this man, not just us, um, that that he was made clean. You think about uh, the relationship between God and the Israelites. The Israelites, in a sense, were made clean by coming through the Red Sea and going through all that that process of becoming his people, being, uh, being cleansed, being uh, purified. Um, and they go through that process, and the Samaritans... Are basically the defilement of the of the salvation mm-hmm. of Israel. Right. And and so here you have someone who not only in physical form, but in his his ancestry, his heritage is um, evidence of the defilement of the promise of God. And yet here's that one again made whole. And and all of this points back to, like you said, the Luke is writing to Gentiles, and his point is Look what you look at what God does for those outside of the Jewish family. Mm-hmm. Look at what God does for those who were outside the faith. And when they come to him, he treats them just the same mm-hmm. as everybody else. Mm-hmm.
1: You know, to to jump to a slightly different uh angle on this, uh, I find myself being curious what the nine are thinking or what their reaction is when the one guy turns back.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, d- do they have the attitude of, oh, well, you know, it, he he couldn't have made it to the high priest anyway, so it doesn't really matter. But it's, you know, it says, you know, we get the information that he turned and was praising God with a loud voice as he returned. You know, it, it's not like he slipped away from these guys and then ran back and started praising God. It says mm-hmm. he, he started doing this immediately when he realized what had happened. What do you think the rest of those guys were thinking when he did that? Did you know? Did they start praising, but continued on their way? Uh, did they feel guilt, guilty, and ashamed because they weren't singing praises to God? But did they just wonder, well, what in the world is this guy doing? You know, I, I I really wish we had a little bit more of their their perspective on that because I have found myself in situations where the reaction that someone else has reminds me that. I'm not thinking about this in a spiritual way. I'm thinking about this in in an earthly way or in a carnal way. And their first reaction was to give glory to God or to express thanks to God. Um, And and, and I don't mean in some kind of rote fashion where you just say that Mm -hmm. all the time, it's just, but they have a sincere reaction, and that that is their their initial reaction is to give glory to God for it. And I I feel ashamed of myself for the fact that that wasn't my reaction, or perhaps that's what I was thinking, but I wasn't willing to actually mm. do it. You know, I would really have loved to know more about what their reaction was. I'm glad that you said that, Sam, because I think sometimes
0: with our inhibitions, it keeps us from from like you said, responding in a spiritual way, and and sometimes people that respond in a spiritual way almost embarrass me. You know, it's, it's like, wow, that, that might come across, you know, like some kind of a um, denominational person, or that might come across like somebody that's uh, a little too charismatic or whatever. And so, I mean, and I'm not even talking about necessarily going overboard, but just, just a reaction where we might even say, you know what, that was awesome. Can we just stop and pray right now? Can we just have a prayer right now and thank God for that? You know, most of us would be a little too stoic, a little too well. I'm, okay, I guess so. You know, where that kind of, a, but but how we we should be. You know, throw throw the care of the world to the wind and say, you know what? Yes, absolutely. Let's stop and let's have a time of prayer. Let's let's thank God for whatever, whatever, whatever.
1: You know, it's it's almost like uh, we get so um, stoic about our relationship with God it's almost like, you know, well, glory to God goes without saying. So, so we so we don't need <laughs> so to we say, don't it, say it. You know, so <laughs> we don't say it to each other. You right. know? It's like, well, well, you know, yes, gl- glory to God. Yes, thankfulness to God. Yeah, that that all goes without saying. We all understand that. And so let's move on. And and then we end up just being the type of people who who never say it. You know, it's mm-hmm. like we're so worried about being people who say it uh, in, in an insincere just rote fashion, just, you know, throwing it out there without any meaning behind it. Uh, that we we then become the people who never say it. Mm-hmm. You know, and it and it's funny how as you mature you'll go into those things where it's like you 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 might go through a phase where you start acknowledging God and saying, you know, oh praise God and stuff. And and you're you're doing it in an in, insincere fashion. You're mm-hmm. you're just saying it mm-hmm. without any sincere meaning behind it. And so then you try and swing away from that, and you end up not saying it at all, and then you become really spiritually minded. you become a mature christian you you grow uh into your spiritual maturity, and you start saying it an awful lot more with mm-hmm. sincerity, and you're in uninhibited about saying it is because that is the first thing that is on your mind, mm-hmm. and you know i i I want to be that type of a Christian who my first thought really is glory to god for what has happened in all situations good and bad but to to really approach everything in life with a spiritual attitude right mm-hmm. well,
2: you know and that's the that's a lot of what you see here i mean in at least from what we know about the story the of the 10 lepers what we know from the bible about the 10 lepers we we have the account of what one man does <clears throat> and i think you know we we can speculate but we what we know is important the thing that we know is that the one comes back, and that that he he recognizes what has been done for him, and he comes back and praises him, not not in just some you know kind of like yay, I, I now can walk around and I can actually touch people. I'm not just a I'm not just I don't have to stand so far away, um, but but that he recognizes what what has happened and he responds appropriately. Um, he recognizes. I think that's part of the key is that as they're walking along, he recognizes what has happened, and he does what he glorifies God in that in that moment. What happens immediately at the end of this specific passage in verse twenty? It goes on and talks about the Pharisees. They're asking about when when uh, um, when the kingdom of God is coming, and Jesus basically says, "Well." People are going to say, well, it's here, it's there, but the fact is, it's here, it's now. I mean, it's like, it it's not over there, and it's not over here, it is right now. You are You are experiencing the kingdom of God right now. If you were paying attention, like that Samaritan was, if you were paying attention, you would have recognized the signs. You don't need a sign, because you got a sign. I mean, it's waving its hands at you saying, hey, look at all these healed people. Look at all this stuff going on. If you can't recognize that the kingdom of God is here, your eyes are closed, your ears are shut, and you're sh- you're just crazy. I mean, and, and that's just the fact <laughs> of it. So it, you, I think a lot of the point of all this is just recognizing what is before your eyes, recognizing what God has done, and paying attention all the time so that when you when something happens, you don't have to think, Well, do I need to glorify God for that?
1: Well, I mean, it's isn't that the key to thinking spiritually first? You know? It's it's real easy to overlook everything that God does that that Builds our faith, that uh, uh, grows our knowledge of him, that gives uh, explanation and cause to the things that we believe, because we're thinking about earthly things first. we're mm-hmm. we're caught up in our daily lives, you know, and and if we if we could go through our daily lives, thinking about spiritual things first, considering everything through the lens of spirituality, then those things start to become clear. You know it starts to become, as you become a mature Christian, as you grow into a mature faith, you start to recognize these things as they happen, you start to be paying attention. But it's it's not even like the the Jewish leaders at the time were not paying attention to religion. They were highly religious, but they were not thinking spiritually. They were not concentrating on what God wanted them to concentrate on. And we can do the same thing. We can get so caught up in our order of worship, in our Bible classes, and our this and our that, and all the the good works that we're doing and and the functions of the church and not be looking at life spiritually
0: mm-hmm. and And we do. We become so, you know, everything, everything has it its its purpose. And, you know, things like, how long we meet for worship. You know, I mean, that, that it has a purpose. You know, I, I if we went five hours, you know, I mean, it'd be very difficult for some people to make worship five hours, but sometimes we become so caught up in doing things in a certain way and being done by a certain time that when we honestly need to stop and spend time in prayer because some horrible tragedy has happened or because something great has happened, we need to spend time singing, we're like, no, no, no. We we gotta let people go. They gotta go home. They gotta go eat. And you know, it's like no, no. We need to be a a spiritual family. And you know, if people don't get that, then they're really not a part of the spiritual family. You know, I was sitting here thinking about Paul and Silas in prison. You know, sitting there singing songs of praise. Or when when the apostles first started being persecuted, they went on their way rejoicing. You know, and how many of us, if we were in a similar type of a situation, when we say, let's sing. Let's sing right now. Let's, let's sing praises. You know, I mean, people would be like, well, no, come on, Wes, that's, that's not very practical. I mean, people, they're gonna beat us up if we do that. That's why we're in here. That's why we're in jail. They're gonna, they're gonna slap us around if that's what we do. You know, we don't need to be singing. Why would we, you know, but, but spiritually-minded people, it overflows, and, and this leper, he couldn't help it. He, I mean, if you had said, stop, he told us to go to the priest, and he said, no, I'll go to the priest later, I'll take care of all that later, That that's fine, I'll offer whatever sacrifices I need to, but right now, I'm going back, because you can't stop me from praising Jesus. That's the way everybody should have reacted when they saw the kingdom of God coming.
1: Well, you know, that's that's really one of the the biggest takeaways that I have from this that we, we so tend to forget about when we're approaching it as a children's story or a children's class, is that true gratitude true thankfulness to god is about worship our worship comes from a heart that is overflowing with gratitude to god for who he is and what he has done it's not just some exchange of goods and services oh i'm going to come back and i'm going to thank jesus for what he did you know and then jesus says well you're welcome and then you part ways no it is my gratitude overflows and helps to inform me of who this man is, I will go back. And what does he do? He doesn't just go back and say, Oh, thank you, or hug him, or something like that. He falls on his face. You know, and, and that that is an act of worship that is saying, You are deity mm-hmm. to me. I recognize who you are. I recognize this is the only way this could have taken place. And the heart that has gratitude, it's not just about going back and saying thank you or a feeling of gratitude that makes us happy because of what happened. A heart overflowing with gratitude is one that falls down in worship of Jesus Christ and of God the Father. Mm -hmm.
0: And don't we tend to—and obviously we should be thankful to— others when they do us a good deed, but don't we tend to make that the moral point of this story when we teach it to kids is, see, when your friend does something nice for you, you need to go and tell your friend thank you. You know, when your mommy and daddy do nice things for you, you need to go and tell them thank you, thank you. And obviously that's true, but that's not the point. Like you said, the point is about worship. The point is about giving God the glory and the thanks, and and often, you know, we, we don't do that. Sometimes we are quite to our shame we are more grateful towards other people than we are to the lord so often we we send other people thank you notes and we we tell them oh i can't i can't tell you how much i appreciate that and it really overflows from a, from from gratitude but when we come to the lord when we worship it sometimes is, is rote ritualism, you know, and it's, it's not a, you couldn't stop me from being here because I have to praise him. I have to thank him. I have to pray to him. And, and the, many, the more people that come around me and we can do it together, the, the more awesome that community is because all of us have this heart that is so thankful that we can't help but fall on our knees, fall on our face before his feet to say, thank you, Lord, for what you've done for me.
1: And, and what was it that Jesus said? When he come back, when he says, weren't, weren't there nine others, he doesn't say, didn't they want to come back and say thank you? He says, didn't, didn't they want to give glory to God? Mm. You know, because that was what Jesus was doing through his actions. He was bringing glory to his Father and to himself, being that he was God. Mm. But you know, that, that was the purpose of it, was not to garner necessarily a sense of happiness and thankfulness, but to garner glory. And, and you know it's one of those things where we we use certain terminology uh, that almost becomes this this uh, religious shorthand that we use. You know when, when we say uh, w- would you give thanks? Well, what do I mean? Mm-hmm. I mean will you say a prayer? Mm-hmm. Now, do I mean that will you say a prayer in which you literally do nothing but say thank you to God for this? No, what I mean is will you lead us in a prayer and p- pray whatever you want? You know and 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 perhaps it's. We are here specifically to say thank you for this meal, but we're offering prayer to God not because we have food in front of us, but because of who God is. Mm-hmm. We offer prayer because God is God and we glorify him and we worship him. And it it's one of those ways in which we we use language that does in fact inform us that all of these things, thankfulness, gratitude, they all feed into worship. What you know what is offering songs of praise and thankfulness, you know, it's our our prayer, our praise, our worship, everything about it is supposed to be coming from a heart that is overflowing with gratitude, and it's not just about being polite. Mm-hmm. And we've so often limited the quote-unquote moral of this story to being polite to each other rather than saying, do you see what happened? Even a person who, because of his life and because of who he was, had no expectation of compassion and consideration from God saw what happened recognized Jesus for who he was and was motivated by gratitude and thankfulness to worship God the Father you know it, there were other samaritans who when being confronted with the truth would still get up on their hind legs and say well 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 hang on but that doesn't mean the Jews were right and they had to be reminded, no, it came first to the Jews, but now and then it, you know, spreads to the Gentiles. He could have had that same attitude. Mm-hmm. He could have had that same attitude of, well, no, God, you need to come and and make good with me because I can't go to the high priest or whatever. And instead, when he's confronted with the truth, what does he do? He goes to the feet of Jesus and he worships. Mm-hmm.
2: You know, it's the the glory of God is in talking about that and worship and and whatnot with my kids. That's something that we do from time to time, especially when it's like, okay, you guys are a little crazy today, and you're, you're a little distracted, so why are we doing this? And that's what we talk about and for the same purpose, and I'm glad you brought that up so that maybe tonight when we talk about Bible stories and um, what they talked about in class today, uh, we can talk about that and reminding them that, you know, this is another example of... We, we praise God. We, we sing to him. We pray to him, not because we have some expectation of him, but because he is who he is. He is the great I am. He is the one from the beginning, and he's the one in the end. He is, he is God, and he has saved us, and we praise him for that, but he is God, and that is the main reason that we praise and glorify Him is because He is God. And because of who He is as God, He is merciful, He is kind, He is caring, He is loving, He provides for me, He gives me what I need, both spiritually and physically. And I can recognize that, and recognizing not only that that He condescended to send His Son to this earth so that I would have salvation, that, that He loves mankind so much, that he that he came down from his throne in heaven to 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 raise us up to give us the time to sh- to spend in in his glory because he deserves it he has it and we can share in that and we can we can glorify him and that's just a it's a beautiful thought
1: and and that your your explanation of it right there the only thing i can think of is our children can understand that. Yes. They absolutely could understand that. If my son was sitting here right now listening to what you just said, he would have understood that, and he would have been motivated and moved by the truth that you just presented to him. And yet, so often we could look at this story and we could say, "Well, this is what an adult might get out of it, but there's no way I can communicate to that that to my child." And we we need we just need to get cracked upside the head and say, "No." You need to teach that to your child. Mm -hmm. Your child needs to hear that. There's a dozen other ways. Every children's program that comes on TV, where they're going to learn about being polite and saying thank you. Mm -hmm. My less than two-year-old daughter knows to say thank you when someone gives something to her. When she comes into Bible class and is hearing this event, this story, what she needs to know is about the glory of God and worship.
0: That's right. You know, I was thinking, and this may be a hold of the can of worms, but... I was thinking, you know, it's so helpful to have a framework to remind us to be thankful, to remind us what to say, what we need to concentrate on. And so, you know, we do certain things traditionally so that we have this framework. So we, we say a prayer before we eat a meal. We have a communion focus before we take the Lord's Supper. We sing certain hymns and songs over and over again, songs that we've sung for hundreds of years, not because we have to sing those songs, but because... They remind us of certain truths that need to be repeated, and we need this framework so that we don't forget. I need to be thankful, and I need to be solemn, and I need to, uh, you know, I need to inspect myself. I need to um, think about my my life, and so we have this framework. But it's so easy for that framework to become ritual, and so we say things like "In Jesus' name, Amen." And that just becomes this formula to the end of our prayer, rather than reminding ourselves that I am praying by the authority of Jesus Christ. He has given me a backstage pass, a VIP pass, access to God the Father that through him, through his name, by his authority, I can access, I can come before the the throne of grace with confidence. But we don't think about that when we say in Jesus' name, amen. We should but 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 so you know there's there's a, a certain part of it that we have to continually evangelize to ourselves and to our families, we have to preach the good news. We have to remind them, this is why we say in Jesus' name, amen. We say it not because it's a formula, like putting a stamp on an envelope before we send it. This is saying that we recognize that it's only by the authority of Jesus Christ that we can pray, that he's the one that gives us this ability. And isn't it awesome to pray to this wonderful, awesome God? Uh, But so often our framework, which is is intentional and purposeful, has become ritualistic, and we forget to teach our kids why it's so awesome.
1: You know, and and not only does it have a tendency uh, or a danger of becoming ritualistic, it has a danger of becoming used as a shield against our inhibitions and mm-hmm. our desire not to feel embarrassed or all these other types of things. Well, well, I can worship in church without anybody noticing me, without making a big deal out of it or anything like that, you know, and, and that's why I love these descriptions of the man who returned. Mm-hmm. It says he was glorifying God with a loud voice, and when he got back to Jesus, he fell on his face. He would face down into the dirt. You know, okay, Jesus isn't here for me to fall down on my face in the dirt in front of him. But does any aspect of my worship demonstrate that were he here, that's what I would do? Mm-hmm. Does anything about how I sing and how I pray demonstrate proskeneu, mm-hmm. the worship of falling down on my face, kissing the, the foot, the, the ground before the foot mm-hmm. of a deity, of a person that I, that I want to worship in that way? There, there are so many of us that our worship never gets to that level and it's either i don't and maybe it's because we're we're not overflowing with gratitude i don't i don't know or maybe it's just because we get so embarrassed about being seen as well that that odd duck like we were talking about mm-hmm. but that's something else that we can not only learn as adults but communicate to our children from a very early age do you see this man He was not afraid of people seeing him fall on his face. Mm -hmm. He was not afraid of people hearing him with a loud voice glorifying God because of who he was and what he had done for his life. There is never anything to be embarrassed about Mm -hmm. when you're worshiping God.
2: And again, you think about the Samaritan, maybe part of it is he recognized as a Samaritan, he is essentially outside the family of God. He recognized his existing Humble state that, and and the reality is is all of us exist. Even the Jews exist in that same state of hopelessness without God, and yet He recognized it because of His relationship with the Jews in the first place. So He's an outcast of outcasts, and and He recognizes as, as this outcast, God has cleansed me. How amazing is that? And and we don't think like that. We don't think about the fact that we we essentially were were outcasts. Uh, we are sinners. God, we if we if we want to look at it in the cleanse cleansing process and thought process of the Old Testament, we might as well have had leprosy as sinners.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: That we couldn't approach the throne of God. We couldn't be part of the worship of God. We could not be involved in in sacrifices we couldn't be involved in anything re- religious because because of their health and and God changes all of that he makes someone who is who is outside the family of God who is outside the social network of people and 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 he brings him and restores him both physically spiritually in every way and and the man recognizes he recognizes, wow, I was so low mm-hmm. and I have been brought so high.
0: And think about what the lepers said to him while they were still at a distance and they cried out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. You know, and that reminds me of his story about the tax collector and the, and the, um, the Pharisee, and you know that was that was all the tax collector could say was lord have mercy on me a sinner and that's the whole point the whole point of the gospel is to is to knock the the legs out from under us and say you need to fall on your face and say lord have mercy on my uh, on me a sinner
1: that's that's your only hope recognizing who god is and who we are mm-hmm. in relation to that
2: and re- and remembering that and, and as we've talked about throughout all of this that the spiritual discussion is not something that we wait till our children mature. You know, we we dumb down the Bible so that our children can understand it. But the reality is, is we can just teach it to them as it is. We read the Word of God. You know, we we go we go through different phases. We have we have different Bibles for our kids. We have a, a story Bible, and we have um, we have. Like we for Bella, we have one that's actually a comic book Bible. We don't actually usually read that. We actually let her look at the comic book while we read the story. But the point is, we don't need to lower the level of understanding of the Bible for our children. We need to raise them up to the understanding of the Bible itself. I mean, <laughs> that's the opposite of what we usually do.
1: Maybe maybe we would have more adult Christians who understood the Bible to be more than a, a life guide to moral living and and to politeness and whatnot. If we started teaching our children mm-hmm. that it was more than just a guide to right. uh, to being nice to each other.
0: Well, the, even this afternoon, we were sitting there talking. We were watching the—I um, forget, somebody put out a, a, a video that just kind of summarized in about five minutes the whole— Bible, the, you know the big mm-hmm. narrative, the large narrative, the God, the Gospel project. project. Well, I think this one was the Gospel Project, okay. but anyway, it's this cartoon for kids. But it, it it shows the whole narrative, and then it talks about how Jesus, the whole story is about Jesus. But I said, isn't that awesome, guys? We get to be a part of that family, and that's what sometimes we forget about this story about the the ten lepers is that we are the Samar- we're the Samaritan, we are the Gentile, we are the outcast, we are the one who was not a people, we were not the people of God, but because the Jews rejected him because by and large, they did not receive their Messiah. Then salvation came to the Gentiles, and that's us. And we get to be adopted into the family where now we are a part of the new Israel. We are a part of the new Jerusalem. We are part of Abraham's family. We are part of Isaac's family. We are part of Jacob's family. What an amazing thing that is. And and so often our kids grow up not hearing that. And that's the main part of the Bible, is that be, because of what Jesus did, the kingdom has been expanded, the kingdom has been established so that all people, all nations, all tribes, all tongues can come in and be a part of the family of God.
1: You know what I appreciated most this morning was when you pointed out that the your faith has made you well could just as, as correctly be translated, your faith has saved you mm-hmm. in a spiritual sense. You know, it's it's so much of what we talk about and so much of what we do and when we even look at the bible we focus on the physical thing that happened and fail to draw out of it the spiritual point that the author was trying to make that he was communicating very effectively too and yet we skip right over it because it's just a kid's story
0: A big thanks to my co-host and to Cameron McAulay for his help in the production of this show. And thank you to all of our listeners. If you enjoyed the show, please consider sharing it with others and leaving a rating and review on iTunes so others can be encouraged as well. As always, we want you to know that we love you, God loves you,
1: and we hope you have a wonderful day.